Hi there, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. So welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I'm always excited every week about my guests, but I'm 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 probably a little bit more excited when I get a fellow Canadian on the show. And today I want to welcome Joe Stetter. He's just just down the highway a wee bit in the Toronto, Ontario uh, city that most people know of from Canada. So Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. I I love the name of your company, the Celebrate Group. I I was really intrigued when you wanted to be on the show and, and I loved your bio. So let's start off by just sharing with our listeners a little bit about you and your company. So I'll start a little bit with the background that I didn't know what I want to do when I grow up. So I switched careers nine times and jobs over 18 times. And in the process of trying to figure out what I am or who I am, switching industries, getting redesignated, I've kind of figured out that I started my venture as a recruiter, or like kind of life happened, changed careers, became a recruiter, started my own company, had a business partner that taught me a $360,000 life lesson, completely derailed my entrepreneurship, uh, you know, regrouped, uh, and then kind of reinvented myself as a Celebrate group with kind of now being more of a corporate culturist where I serve companies in five different ways. So number one is old school headhunting and recruiting. I don't use job boards or job postings because I understand nobody reads them. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second part of it is I implement personality assessments and psychometric assessments so that I can give not only data on the candidates that I bring in, but people that currently work in the company so that leadership knows what drives their employees and how to engage them better. Uh, And with that, uh, unfortunately, corporate culture has become a very big buzzword, but very few companies actually understand the importance of taking care of their people. Uh, You know, one of my favorite TV shows is Undercover Boss. Mm -hmm. I love at the end of the show when the executives go, oh, my God, I should speak to the people that work here. I might get some insights. Uh, To me, that is hilarious because that's what my business is all about. So I help organizations you know, with no budget to Google budget, create anything from, you know, a customized uh, art event where instead of going to the franchise where everybody draws a tree, I can have world-renowned artists come to your company and create an event just for your employees and kind of implement a social committee and activities there. And so big element of what I do is helping leadership understand how to not only understand their people, but how to communicate to five generations and now work together. Uh, so with that, not only do I implement that, but also in the realm of social responsibility, a lot of organizations just cut a check and a lot of employees feel disengaged or don't feel like they've contributed anything. So I help leadership better understand how to engage their employees in social responsibility and still get all the PR and the tax breaks and everything that they need. And if things go bad, I do outplacement services. Um, and I've also had the honor and the pleasure of helping 11,000 people land their dream job in as little as two days. 
That's amazing. Thank you. You know, I think it's timely that uh, I had you on the show because when I was in the medical field, long before I moved into coaching 15 years ago, you know, corporate wellness was about mitigating short-term disability claims. And now it's about employee retention, which is what I want to talk to you about. So my first leadership question, because, I mean, we can go in so many different directions with you, but talk about your land, your dream job program, because 11,000 people, number one, that's no small feat, but you are bringing your own personal and practical application from your own life. And, and I really felt aligned with you because when I was younger, if I didn't like a job or the energy of the culture, I would leave and my parents would be like dumbfounded, but I would be somewhere else the next week. So I, I feel like I've, I've kind of met my alignment with you there, but talk to us about 11,000, like that's a lot of people. So here's the thing, most people, and, and don't get me wrong, there's a ton of phenomenal resources out there to help people land their job. However, most experts, and I use that term loosely, tend to regurgitate the same things over and over again. Like in 20 years of recruiting and helping people land their dream job, I've met very few people that say, listen, I'm lazy, I'll show up late, none of my work will be any good, and I really hate people. Please hire me. The only time that works is if you're related to somebody in the company or perhaps having an affair with them. Uh, But... What I've noticed and what I kind of did is in my journey of ups and downs in life and changing careers, when I started getting into self-development and kind of improving myself, I did the Tony Robbins Walk of Fire. And after completing it, and I was such in a high, and then I went and said, how come some of these principles aren't being applied to job? And so, you know, most people, for example, default to applying online and Indeed, Right. The problem is that indeed one job posting gets between 350 and 5,000 applications. Most employers should look at the first 100, figuring out of the first 100, they'll probably get a decent batch to, to hire somebody. But just because you chose the first 100 doesn't mean that's the best person for the job. Mm-hmm. Now, there are tricks to beat the job boards. For example, most of the times the big job boards like Indeed, Career Builder, Monster, refresh their database between 11.45 p.m., and 2.45 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So depending on when you go to bed, go into your resume, press spacebar, anywhere on your resume and press save. The moment that you press spacebar, it automatically, the database looks at it as a new resume because you've made change to the resume, which means that you're more likely to be seen because if you posted your resume, let's say we're now in January, if you posted your resume even in October and we're now in January, you're probably on page 6,000 of the database. Nobody will see you. So I started building a system that focuses on the things that nobody told you when it comes to finding a job, the mistakes that people make on their resume, the mistakes that people make in interviews, the mistakes people make in networking, uh, the mistakes that people make in kind of all aspects of life and kind of approach it from here's a story, here's a comical perspective that there's that aha moment, you know, like for example, most people have been taught on their resume to write that they have experience with this or they have knowledge with that. I like to use these two examples because the first one usually makes people laugh and the second one really hits home what I'm saying. If you're applying to be a receptionist somewhere and you tell me that you know how to answer the phone, I hope the company looks at you in shock and goes, really? A receptionist that knows how to answer the phone? 
We did not know that. Because unless you live in an igloo, a cave, or practice the faith of Mennonite, pretty much everybody in North America knows how to press the green button, go, hello, how can I help you? But if you say, in my last job, I answered 60 calls a day with 12 different lines, I can measure 60 calls a day with 12 different lines. I cannot measure, I know how to be a receptionist. Now, this applies to every industry, because if you tell me that you're an accountant and you know how to do financial statements, have you ever met an accountant that doesn't? And if they don't, how are they an accountant? That's my first question. Now, if I give a real-life example from my career, I can say I'm an excellent salesperson. I know how to do B2B, B2C, account management, relationship building, lead generation. I've worked retail, door-to-door. I've done car sales. I've worked in private education. I've worked as a recruiter. I know how to do sales. I've used a lot of jargon, which is important for the algorithms of all the job boards, but it doesn't tell you whether or not I actually know how to sell. Now, if I give you a real example, I worked in um, Cambridge, Ontario, for a private college that before I came in, generated $530,000 for the year. In one month, I generated $860,000 in sales for them. Which one would convince you that I know how to sell? All of the jargon or the example with results? Mm -hmm. And most people that I speak to have never thought about how do I quantify the work that I do? Mm -hmm. How do I quantify the impact that I've made? And so I try to give them this simple example. When you come home and speak to your partner and tell them about your job, yes, there are days where you go, oh, man, my job. But on those days where you're like, you'll never believe what happened to you. There was like the most complicated thing I ever had to solve. And, you know, I spent the whole day trying to come up with solutions and I come up with the most brilliant thing that's probably going to save hundreds of thousands of dollars or improve the efficiency or whatever version of your contribution that's what I need on your resume. That's what I need people to communicate in an interview because I don't care that you know how to do something because everything or everybody knows how to do it, you know. And nowadays with AI, even theoretically less because AI does it for you. Yeah, it's that's another question I've got up and coming for you. But just so much richness in what you said there. I think people get caught up, like you said, in the in the extrinsic part of things. When if we allow the intrinsic value and the emotion to kind of marry up with the cognition. So like you said, the 60 calls over 12 lines, because we all know how to pick up a phone. We don't necessarily all know what to say or how to say it, but just such an interesting perspective. So my second question has permanent residency on the show. I've asked over 250 leaders this question. Humor and laughter are allowed. What, yeah. what imperfections does Joe bring to his heart-centered leadership? Again, as an imperfection, uh, I look at it this way. There is a level where I often give people the benefit of the doubt way too much. And I've been taken advantage of where I've coached uh, people. Like I had a both a success and a, this is what's wrong with people kind of environment. Uh, I had a gentleman that was a social media manager uh, out of New Jersey that was self-employed for 10 years and unfortunately ran his business to the ground because he wasn't invoicing his clients properly mm -hmm. and got to the position where he could barely afford rent. Now, I was recommended to him uh, to do career coaching and help him land his dream job. Before hiring me, he sent me 36 different documents that explains what a social media product manager does. And I was like, listen, I've invested 30,000 hours to mastering everything there's to know about job finding. I know the systems, the tools, the tricks, the tips, 
the techniques to get you hired, right? I don't need these 36-page documents. He agreed to hire me. Now, from the get-go, he was very, very arrogant. I know everything. And I was like, okay, but you hired me as a coach. Now, understand that in the seven months that he was looking for a job on his own, he had one interview that never went past the first interview. After writing his resume and doing his LinkedIn profile, four of the largest social media companies in the world, being Google, Facebook, Snapchat, and Twitter, called him for an interview. Now, Google asked him, for example, how would you improve one of the email servers that exist? His answer was, they're all great. I don't need to improve them. Wrong answer. When he told me that, I said, here's what you should have said. Hotmail used to be a leader in the email industry. For some reason, their filters keep sending all the emails to junk, and they haven't upgraded their ability to handle larger attachments to their email. So if I was a product manager for Google, first of all, I'd change all the filters to make sure that it doesn't go to junk mail. Second of all, I would increase the file transfer size to maybe 150 megs to compete with WeTransfer or Dropbox mm. so that I can bring Hotmail back to life. He looked at me and goes, wow, that's genius. That's what I should have said. I'm like, that's why you hired me as a coach, but you're not willing to listen to my coaching, mm -hmm. right? Then Facebook and Snapchat asked him to send proof of his technical skills. He waited two and a half weeks to send the information because he was busy. And they looked at him and said, do you know who we are? We're some of the biggest social media companies in the world. We don't wait for you. And same thing he kind of chose or his arrogance kicked in with the last interview meeting. And then he had the audacity to tell me I didn't do my job as a coach because he didn't get hired. I said, but you didn't listen to the coaching and you refused mm -hmm. to listen to the guidance I gave you where I was giving you the formula of results, not I know how to do this, for example. And so this is where I'm very proud of the fact that I got him interviews of such big companies that uh, it goes to show that the system that I've developed is working. On the flip side of it, and again, as an example, I I'm an avid salsa dancer. That's kind of my outlet to relax. When I first got into dancing, my salsa partner was in college at the time, was looking to do an internship with uh, one of our largest telecom companies here in Canada. She sent me, she called me up. She's like, I really, really, really want this interview. I'm like, you really want it? She's like, yeah, I'll do anything. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be like your Mr. Miyagi, right? Wax on, wax off, don't ask me questions. I said, first of all, your job title is graphic design. You're not allowed to have a black and white cookie cutter resume. We made a resume green. Instead of using the regular circles that everybody uses, bullets, we had a little dancing guy that was her signature character, okay? She sent the resume. Two weeks go by. They don't call her. She calls me and goes, you suck. They didn't even call me. An hour later, they called her. The director personally called her and said, listen, I'm so sorry it's taken us so long to call you. We've received over 7,400 applications for 20 unpaid internships. Your resume was one of our favorite. Because we received so many resumes, we're going to kind of interview you in two days, and it's probably going to be a three-interview process. She called me, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. They're going back. What do I do? What do I do? I'm like, first of all, apologize, right? And then I said, okay, now I'm going to teach you my seven rules to a perfect interview. I want you to go and print your best graphics on the highest quality, uh, glossy paper, even if it costs you $40, just for the sake of impressing. Organize all of your... Uh, kind of creations in one easy accessible uh, file so that you don't have to log in and passwords and stuff like that. 15 minutes into her first interview, two days later, the director put down his pen and said, listen, I've been running this program for over 10 years. I have never been so impressed with a candidate. 
as I am with you. Congratulations, you're my first hire. I'm not even bothering with the second and third interview. And so this is where, again, small little changes Mm -hmm. can make such a big difference in how you're heard, how you're seen, and how people experience you. Absolutely. I, for my third leadership question, I got to give you some context. So I was at a conference earlier this year and it was on aging and, and the term modern elder, which is 45 and older. And there was an HR person there and she told two stories. And the first one was um, that she was basically told by the COO to hire this woman because she had gone to the COO and said, well, you know, this woman has a lot of experience and she's great, but she's 51 years old. And so she had a little bit of a lesson uh, from an operational point of view from a C-suite leader that, you know, age is not something to discriminate when someone such a rich candidate as this person was. And the second thing that they taught us was that anybody from the baby boomer or even my generation, Gen X, we were taught to do two spaces after a period. And that some of the AI filters, if you will, and correct me if I'm using the wrong term, Joe, they know how old we are because of those two spaces. So it was very interesting when you said go in between, you know, quarter to 12 and quarter to two in the evening, early morning, put a space, repopulate. How is AI impacting the the world at large in terms of hiring and employee retention and, and are you finding it to be a helpful modality or do you still think it has a long way to go? Okay, so uh, very interesting question. And sorry, what was the term you used? Uh, or An AI filter? When people no, no, su- the, or older. Oh, modern, modern elder. Apparently I fall into that category as well, but okay, good to know. Uh, very interesting term. That's the first time I've heard that, but that's great. I love learning new things. So here's the thing, and I'm going to say this in two parts. Uh, the modern elder, even the elder in terms of baby boomers, what a lot of companies are realizing is that, yes, they can save money on salary by hiring younger, fresher other. But it is believed that, you know, the millennials and the Gen Z are the smartest generation of all previous generations combined. The problem is there's so much information coming at them. They have no idea how to distinguish between what's real and what's not. Mm-hmm. Right. When my father, God rest his soul, passed away 11 years ago, he was the senior operations director for a developer company that he was in charge of 16 buildings. And when he passed, the company decided to save money on his experience and knowledge and hire somebody more junior so that they can save approximately $60,000, $70,000 in salary. Well, after a month or two, that person kind of said, I can't handle 15 buildings. I don't know how mm-hmm. you know, my dad handled that. And so they ended up hiring like six, seven people at $60,000 less and spending $800,000 more in salary than just hiring one correct person. Mm -hmm. What's happening today in the market is that a lot of companies that had this, we want younger, we want innovative, we want this, are starting to understand that you cannot replace experience. Okay. And this is where AI is both good and bad. Mm -hmm. AI can generate like, you know, ChatGPT and some of the other tools that, you know, I have a list of probably 2,500 AIs, can generate an entire resume for you. Mm -hmm. But one thing it cannot do is tell your story from a perspective of the results, from a perspective of how good you are. 
right? And this notion of customizing your resume for every job you apply to, pardon my language, but it's malarkey. It's there because most job descriptions are genetic. If I were to put an engineering job, a marketing job, an administrative assistant job, uh, an accounting job, uh, side by side, 70% of the job description is exactly the same because every job description says, you know, be a team player, other duties is assigned, you know, this. Yeah. There's most of the job descriptions are so generic that you, you a custodian writing things correctly could sound like he's an engineer that's been doing this for, for years, for example. And unfortunately, we've become a society that loves to give each other titles. I worked in the private colleges where the receptionist wasn't receptionist. She was, or he was, director of first impression. So by the title, you would think, oh, director. No, it was just a title that sounded better for the sake of kind of attracting more. But uh, look, AI has a lot of benefits because it can give you templates, right? And what's happening is these, you know, I can look up Google Words and write a resume for $100 experts are being pushed out because that $100 resume is not enough. When, when I, like, my prices are a little bit more than that because after 30,000 hours, nearly 20 years, over 11,000 people, I've earned the right to say I get results in as little as 10 days. I've written 11 books on it. I've been published in multiple magazines on my expertise. If you want to go and spend $100 on a resume or use ChatGPT to write a resume, it might work for retail. It might work for an entry-level job, but it's not going to tell your story mm -hmm. when it comes to experience. Whether the double space in terms of like two spaces after a period is part of the algorithm, some of them might have that algorithm. The problem is that most of the job boards are still using outdated mm -hmm. algorithm where they're not measuring the content of the resume, they're measuring the formatting. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, again, I'll give you a very simple example of where AI will fall short. I offered to do a lecture uh, at Lakehead University to, to the MBA program. And I was speaking to the professor a little bit beforehand, and he was telling me that they just did a case study where a business is losing a lot of money. And most of the students' basically solution was outsource. And while talking to him, the professor was very impressive. like, hey, why don't you come in and be a guest speaker? I'm like, great. I had 20 minutes to prepare to come in, uh, do this guest talk. I came in, I said, show of hands, how many people here said, based on the case that you just did, outsource? Most of the hands went up. And I looked at him and said, then why are you wasting your money on an NBA? And the room went silent. I said, you just suggested that you don't need a job because your job could be outsourced. Mm -hmm. The room went even quieter. I said, how many of you would be willing to take a 10% pay cut to help the company gain money? Most of the hands went up. I said, how many of you, between your education and some of your experiences, personal or professional, could come up with a solution to increase revenue? P1's hand up, I said, that's the difference, right? So today AI has tools where, you know, kids don't need to write essays anymore and it solves their math problems. And yes, they might get into university and they might get, get very good grades. But as soon as it kind of like, you know, uh, as a corporate culture still does recruiting, for example, my clients, let's say in accounting, tell me today's generation has learned how to memorize the textbook. Mm -hmm. The people that become partners are the ones that know how to communicate mm -hmm. and think outside the little box because anybody can do a basic tax form. But it's the problem that goes, you know what? 
you have a company, you can defer this tax and you can write this off and you can write this off instead of using it as a, because I have a home office. So there you go. Half my mortgage is now an expense. I don't need the person that's memorized how to do every checkmarked box. I need the person that's going to guide my business to help me keep my money as a business, for example. And so AI is great because it can solve problems faster. And yes, it can do social media, it can do this, but I can see AI because the person talks like this and there is no emotion. And although they might be saying things that are very relevant, okay, there's an adage in English that says, facts tell, stories sell. AI has not been able to, is not no. there yet in terms of telling your story. Absolutely. I've never found a robot with a personality. We always joke that's come up on the show quite a bit. Okay, my last leadership question is, I hear this a lot from young people. What tip can you give to them when they're submitting their resume online? You know, I've heard things like, well, you submit it, it goes into the black hole, nobody ever gets back, there's 10 million people applying, all yeah. the things. What's one proficient tip that you can share with them today to really hold on to? And maybe I'm going to give them two proficient tips. Okay. Well, the first is act a little bit ignorant, call HR and say, my laptop battery just died. My internet's been wonky or I never got a confirmation. Can you please check that my application went through? The moment that let's say HR checks the application, if you were 101st on the list and now, and they're only checking the first 100, the moment HR checks, you're the first, for example, right? So call. And the second part, and this is where, again, I will acknowledge uh, Napoleon Hill when he wrote Think and Grow Rich. You know, we've become such a lazy society that nobody's proactive anymore. Mm -hmm. I had a friend that graduated mechanical engineering and, you know, the Catch-22 where graduating from university, you need five years experience to get an entry-level job, right? So he chose 20 companies that he was very interested in and printed his resume after applying online and went and went to the first company at 9 a.m. and asked the receptionist to speak to the director. She looked at him and said, do you have any appointment? He goes, no, nope, I just want to speak to the director. She said, he's in meetings all day. He goes, okay, I'll wait. And he waited there until about 2.15, 2.30 in the afternoon. At 2.15, 2.30 in the afternoon, the manager finally came out and said, I understand you're looking for me. How can I help you? And he said, listen, I wanted to introduce you to, to you myself personally, or I introduce myself personally to you. I've applied online. I know you don't have any jobs right now, but I just graduated mechanical engineering. Here's a couple of projects that I've done that I think are relevant to your company. I would love an opportunity to work here. The director was so impressed that he actually was willing to wait the whole day to wait for him that he hired, like literally had a five-minute conversation with him and hired him on the spot. Mm -hmm. Not enough young people today have this mentality of being proactive and making things happen, you know, going to networking events going to industry courses or seminars or workshops, going to companies in person and speaking to them, following the company and saying, I've applied, or even using LinkedIn, which is a phenomenal tool, right? And paying the $45 a month to email people in your not, that are not on your network to make that introduction, to make that connection. So, you know, I guess three tips that I've given you, like use LinkedIn, use LinkedIn in mail. Be proactive in terms of mm -hmm. calling and saying, oopsie, like my battery died. Can you check? Or my internet's been wonky. Can you check? Right. Or go there in person. 
Yeah, you have to be you have to be different. You have to be different. Of course. Those are great. Those are great tips. Yeah. And I, I you know, I know a lot of people are going to benefit um from this interview with you because our listenership has sustained in 65 countries and it's like you said at the beginning of our interview, it's five decades of aging and ages that are listening to this podcast. So we've got 20-year-olds right up to 70-something. So it's a wide, wide cast population. Now, I will say this for the those that are, let's say, baby boomers, a little bit more mature. Like, don't go past, let's say, maximum 25 years of experience. The reason being, and don't put your dates of education so that you can minimize some of the aging, for example. Uh, because unfortunately, the, oh, you're a little bit more mature and probably more expensive. Uh, trust me, I deal with that with my clients today. And uh, there's a level where, again, great people are being overshadowed or dismissed because people that don't know what they're doing or don't know the value of the experience are making the decision. Good point. Okay, I'm going to pivot to my Fab Four, and these are just four fun questions about Joe so we can see who you are behind behind all the great things that you do with your career counseling. We're, it's, we're celebrating you. You're the celebrate Thank group you. guy, so we're going to celebrate you. What word or phrase shows up daily in your leadership language? I, I don't know that it's one because everything that happens to me, good and bad, there's always gratitude. Uh, first, I am a proud father of two beautiful children, a three and a half year old and a 16 month old and happily married man. So those are, you know, family is a big, big part of my life. And as kind of I said, I try to find moments to enjoy and have experiences. So, you know, like we went to Illumi uh, yesterday, 1.4 million lights and so forth. And again, it was freezing, but it was, yeah. we went out as a family. We, we, you know, as much as, especially my son who is 16 months old, had a hard time with it, it was kind of like, we did something, you know, you might be remembered kind of thing. We can have a conversation. Moments. Absolutely. Exactly. Okay, second question. Don't think, I want to know the first one that comes to your mind. Name a book that you've read at any juncture in your life. What was the book? Who's the author? And why did it impact you? Today's the Day by Dr. Obon Bowen. He is actually one of my mentors. And I've had the honor and the privilege of learning from me. He's owned over 100 companies. In his life went from being a decorated Marine to being homeless to, you know, having three PhDs and consulting companies. And every time I listen to him, I learn something new. That's wonderful. I love that. Okay, I'm granting you a wish, Joe. Here's the context. You get to have dinner with any leader of your choosing. This leader could be living. Maybe this leader's passed away. Who are you having dinner with, Joe? And what is the dinner conversation? It's actually one of my favorite interview questions to ask when I interview candidates for a job. So I'm going to give five people because of how my brain thinks for it. So uh, the first person would be Hitler. And I say this not because I want to kill him, not because either. I want to understand two things from him. Number one, what caused him to hate Jews so much, especially since he was half Jewish. Mm. And number two, what he said to the rest of the world to commit him. And once I understand the root of the hate, the next person I want to meet is Gandhi. Because Gandhi spoke peace more powerfully than anybody and freed the entire country without violence. If I can use what Gandhi, Gandhi's determination to help create peace in the Middle East, that would be the greatest achievement of all for me. 
Uh, beyond that, Shakespeare, because to this day, no one has ever written as much as him and mm. his creativity and his stories are still being passed through generations, modified slightly, but still same themes of those stories. Just how we came up with that and what uh, creativity. Uh, Salvador Dali, one of my favorite painters, uh, was known to be completely crazy, but his ability to draw all those hidden images without actually drawing them out, it was all just a brushstroke. Just the creativity behind that. Mm -hmm. uh, and as entrepreneur, people like uh, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and even Vince McMahon, who owns the World Wrestling Federation, because they kind of took bankrupt companies or companies that weren't into strategy and marketing kind of created monopolies. Obviously, Warren Buffett would fall into that because as one of the smartest inventors of all time, just the simplicity of his thinking, the simplicity of the routine, and just to learn what the wisdom from them to implement that into my businesses and to be able to serve more people on a larger scale. I, I, you're the first person to, to give me five people and I, I get it. And, and you come from such different vantage points to want to have dinner with, with all of them and, and with really logical reasoning. So that, that was an experience. I knew this was going to be a great conversation. So I'm going to have you finish the show by finishing this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? The only way we as humanity can grow and improve. Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. If you like the show, feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. If you're ready to master the art of heart, my new book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, is now available on Amazon, or you can click the link below in our description.